listening to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Saturday night service in Brea, California. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Let's read our, our theme verse for this series together, loudly and clearly. Take a look at the screen, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Let's do it together. Ready, begin. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now this verse has been our springboard into scripture that shows how important it is to get full of it, full of thanks. Being thankful is more than a, a, a nice note of appreciation like Jimmy Fallon does on Friday nights, you know? I want to thank you for, you know? It's more than that. It's more than a gracious affirmation of receiving a gift. We have seen in the last few weeks that thankfulness is the prelude to seeing God's hand or His power move in our lives. It's, it's a key that unlocks peace and joy and confidence. It's, it's what we all need on a daily basis, and we have the power to activate it in our lives. If you get a hold of this principle and begin to practice it, as I said before, I promise you, you will see transformation in your home, you'll see transformation at your work, you'll see transformation in your own personal life, and that's what Refinery is about, a place where transformation happens and potential is realized. And so that's why of our 12 values, one of those is that we are a thankful people. And today we're going to see that ingratitude is inappropriate. Ingratitude is inappropriate. Take a look there on the screen. Ingratitude, I say ingratitude, ingratitude. Is, inappropriate. is inappropriate. I believe one of the reasons that most Christ followers are not experiencing God's power in their life is because of ingratitude. I, I see Christians struggling with the same things that, that non-believers struggle with. And I think to myself, wait a minute, you've got the access to the power of God in your life. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Why are you struggling? And I believe, as I've seen in Scripture, that ingratitude is one of those ways that keep us from walking in the fullness, the abundance that Jesus Christ has provided for us. Sure, we have eternal salvation. We're set because we said yes to Jesus. But many are not experiencing that fullness, that abundance that Jesus Christ said that He came to offer because of the trap of ingratitude. Ingratitude is a lot like this picture. Take a look. This is what ingratitude is like. What's that? What is that? Yeah, it's quicksand. It's a young lady that was walking along. You know, she might have been jogging. I don't know. She might have been out with her friends. I don't know what she was on her way to do, but it was probably something fun, something interesting. And suddenly she steps into this muck and mire and she begins to go down. And the more she moves around in it, she keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. Ingratitude is a lot like this. We step into it and, and suddenly we start to go deeper and deeper and deeper and we become more complaining, more critical, more negative. And it blocks the path of experiencing what God has in store. It blocks that path. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, Kelly, man, that's kind of a strong statement. It is. 
It is, I know. But if we look throughout the entire Bible, we see that one of the things that literally angers God is ingratitude. It does. For those of you who've studied the Bible, you might be thinking, you know, you're right, Kelly. When you look all the way through Scripture, it's ingratitude that angers God. So today's message may be a little uncomfortable. It may be a little challenging for you. But we desperately need to get a hold of this principle. Because we have a negative, critical society that we live in. So-and-so's bashing on so-and-so. This party is bashing on that party. And we're constantly ripping on one another. But I want to express to you that that is not God's will for us. As we read in our scripture, God's will is that we would be thankful. Thankful people. And I'm going to show you why we should be. The reason why thankfulness is so important, and this is, this is a key phrase, and I'm going to repeat it over and over again, is because thankfulness is a verbal demonstration of faith. Did you catch that? Thankfulness is a verbal demonstration of faith. There are other ways that we demonstrate our faith, and we talked about that a few months back, but this is our verbal way of demonstrating our faith. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, he said, what proceeds out of our mouth is what's in our heart. What proceeds out of your mouth is what's in your heart. So if you're critical, you're, you're condemning, you're negative, you're, 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 you're complaining, I'd have to say, what's in your heart? Not passing judgment, but what's the fruit of your lips? But the thankful person, the person speaking words of life and affirmation and thankfulness, What's in their heart? It's thankfulness. And when we consider all that God has done, how could we not be giving Him thanks for the rest of our life? Because Jesus Christ paid a huge price so that we could know eternal life. I tell, I tell when I talk with people about what eternity is like, I tend to use this illustration that I learned from Wayne Cordero a pastor in Hawaii. I said, imagine a rope, oh, about this thick, big kind of nautical rope. And if we blew this wall and sent this rope as far as it could, so you couldn't see it any further, through that wall and gone. And then the other end of the rope would be gone all the way through that wall and as far as you could see. That represents eternity. And if I were to take a hair, not off of your head, James, um, <laughs> Roger, no, um, no, take one of your hairs and pop it off and lay it on the rope, in comparison to eternity, that hair represents your life. What Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary when he laid his life down was he bought you the rope. He bought you all of eternity salvation for eternity. How could we not, for that little time, give him thanks every day of our life? Because you have all of this. No matter how tough it might get. And that's what we tend to do. We worry about the hair. We, we fret about the hair. We think, oh man, I need to have a house in the hair. Um, the Hairtons. I want to have a house in the Hairtons. And I want to have a house there. And I want to, I want to have a retirement there. And I want to make sure that I plan properly there. And I'm going to worry and fret and lose sleep over the hair. When Jesus says, you should just be giving me thanks because I bought all this for you. That's such a great price. See, ingratitude is inappropriate. 
when we consider what God has done. But we, we tend to forget. We forget quickly, don't we? We forget the good when we got the bad right in our face. We got the challenges of every day. When we got the crisis that's right there, the tyranny of the urgent, I call it. It's right there in your face. And we tend to forget the good that we've experienced. And that's human nature. We've been doing that since the beginning. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you a couple of passages of Scripture here tonight that demonstrate this attitude of ingratitude and how God feels about it. It goes way back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. I'm going to highlight way back there, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible. Some of you know the story of God's people. They were enslaved in Egypt. You guys, some of you know that story when they were slaves in Egypt? Okay, good. If you don't, you'll be able to track with me. They're slaves in Egypt for centuries. They were slaves. They were abused. They were beaten. They were in bondage. They were grinding somebody else's corn for them. You know, they were building somebody else's buildings and, and stuff for them. They, and some of you are going, yeah, that sounds like my job. <laughs> right? But God does a miraculous thing. He hears their cries and he miraculously delivers them, millions of them, out of slavery, miraculously, powerfully delivers them out of slavery. And as they're leaving, God moves on the Egyptians and the Egyptians start giving them their gold and their silver and start saying, hey, here, you, you take this, we just want you out. Here, take, take this. So they didn't even just leave as poor slaves. They left as rich free people because the Egyptians gave retribution. They paid retribution. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 34. It says that they, they were just showered with riches. So God frees them. He provides for them. And then as they're, as they're out there in the wilderness, they're on their way to a land that God has said, you're going to love it. You won't be grinding somebody else's corn. You'll grind your corn. You'll be able to live off that land, live off the fruit of that land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I'll talk about that in just a second. As they journeyed to this land, it was kind of a long journey. It was out in the desert. What does God do? They cry out and say, we're thirsty, we're thirsty. And, you know, they didn't have bottles of water, you know, that they could carry with them. And so God provides for them miraculously water from a rock. Enough water to, to, to quench the thirst of millions of people and their cattle. All right? And their cattle. And so that they could clean themselves and even wash their clothes. And speaking of clothes... While they were out on this journey, and they were journeying for 40 years, while they were on this journey, God made it so their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. We don't know what that's like, right? We go from season to season and change our, our clothes and toss them away. Their clothes didn't even wear out for 40 years. God's providing for them freedom, drink, food, provision. Wow. And then, then, on top of it, they come to the land that God has promised them. They send in some spies. They send in 12 spies to check out this land. And then they come back and the spies say, oh, it's exactly like God said it is. The fruit is huge. Matter of fact, they brought a cluster of grapes back with them. And it took two men with a pole between the two men to carry one cluster of grapes. It's, it was ginormous, which is a word I learned from Josh Chase. Ginormous. <laughs> Imagine the bottles of wine that could be made from all these grapes. It was huge. It was, it, was, it was exactly the way God described it. It was flowing with milk and honey. And I know some of you young people are going, 
is that like Willy Wonka, you know, with the rivers of chocolate, milk and honey? No, that isn't what, what, what that means is, um, where does milk come from? Cows, Cows cattle. Uh, matter of fact, back then it was primarily goat's milk. Um, so, but still, nonetheless, it was herds and herds of goats. So if it's flowing with milk, that means that there's lots and lots of goats, which means there's lots and lots of, of animals and livestock, which means that's provision for clothing and for food. And it says it's flowing with milk and what? Honey. Now, of course, you kind of imagine in your mind, it's like, ew, sticky, you know, little rivers of honey that you just kind of stick through. That's not what it is. What it meant is, who makes honey? Bees. Bees make honey. That's right. Still to this day, bees make honey. Hasn't changed in thousands and thousands of years. As a matter of fact, uh, an interesting thing about bees, why it says it's flowing with honey, is because if it's flowing with honey, that means there's lots of bees. And what are bees necessary for? Pollination. That's right. Do you know that there's still 22 primary crops in the United States that require bee pollinization? When I travel across the United States, sometimes I see these white boxes lined up next to these farms uh, uh, in Nebraska and Kansas. And one time I stopped and went, what is that? Those are beehives. And, and smart people, have they, they rent their beehives out, right? So they take their beehives and they move them from farm to farm to farm. Kind of a good business to get into. But they're necessary. Bees are still necessary. So what it's saying is, if it's flowing with milk and honey, it means there's plenty of livestock and plenty of produce. It's flowing with milk and honey. Because if there's bees, that means there's agriculture. So this land is exactly the way God said it would be. So we're talking about gratitude, right? God has set them free. God has provided for them miraculously. When, he, when they were hungry, he sent quail into their midst. And, and, and when they were, they were hungry some more, he rained down bread from heaven called manna. It was angel's food cake, literally. <laughs> and, 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 and all of this, you would think that these people would be, man, God is so good to us. Look at these clothes. They're not the most good looking, but man, I've been wearing it for 40 years. Look, I rip it and then it's all back together. I don't know how it works. It's magic stuff. Whatever it was, they should have been praising God, but that's not what they did. I'm going to show you here. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. Here's how they responded. It says the whole community... This is after the spies came back from the land and gave the report. The whole community began weeping out loud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron, who had led them out of Egypt. They said, if only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they did what? Complain. They complained. The next verse says, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to return to Egypt? Oh, that's it. Let's go back to bondage. Let's go back to slavery. It's safer. Then they plotted amongst themselves and they said, let's choose a new leader and go back. To Egypt. 
all this God has done, they should be grateful. But instead, they complain. They were, they were filled with ingratitude. Instead of being thankful and faith-filled, they were filled with fear and doubt. Because there were, there were people in the land and God said, I will give you this land. But they were like, we don't know. We don't know. Have you ever found yourself there? God has provided for you. You've seen him do something in your life. And now you come up to a new challenge and you start to go, I don't know. I don't know. I've been there. What God wants us to do is to give him thanks. Because thanks is the expression, it's the verbal expression of a faith-filled heart. You see, that's what it is. They should have been overwhelmingly thankful. If you want to read up on this, I recommend go read Psalm chapter 78. Make a note to yourself. I'm not going to go into it now. We don't have time tonight. But go take a look at Psalm 78. It, it outlines the back and forth that God's people did from, I'm going to trust God, and God delivers them, and then they whine and complain. Matter of fact, this time where they were complaining, that wasn't the first time. That was the 10th time in their journey that they had whined and complained. And further on down in those verses, you know what it says? It says that God's anger began to burn against them. They had angered God because of their ingratitude. Moses had to literally intercede and say, God, if you wipe them out, what will the world say? What will the world say? God's anger was burning against them. And why was he angry? Because of ingratitude. Take a look at this phrase. I'm going to say it again. What I said earlier. Expressed thankfulness is a demonstration of faith. And this is why God wants us to be thank-filled people. It literally means he wants our faith to be filled up so that we would trust him and express it through thankfulness. Because the converse of that is also true. Ingratitude demonstrates our lack of faith. Isn't that right? Now, some of you might be going, well, Pastor Kelly, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Jesus came and, you know, he made things much easier. Much easier. He did. Absolutely. He, 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 he made a way for us, even us as Gentiles, to be able to come into the throne room of God. But the issue of thankfulness is still relevant in the New Testament and today. I want to show you something from Luke, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Take a look at this, and I'll give you some explanation. This is an occurrence that happened with Jesus. Follow along with me as I open up my Bible here. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and the letter to the Romans. There we go. Okay, take a look at verse 11. And follow along. Here we go. Now it happened. As he, that is, Jesus went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers. Uh, wave at me if you're not sure what leprosy is. Just kind of wave at me. If you, many of you, okay, one person, two, a couple people don't know what leprosy is. I'll tell you in just a moment. I don't have any pictures. It would gross you out. These lepers stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, if you're just reading that and you don't understand the context, you might think, well, that's kind of rude. Jesus doesn't have time for the lepers. It's kind of like dealing with a homeless person, right? You say, hey, you know what? Go over there and get some food. That's kind of what this attitude, it seems like there's this attitude of, oh, lepers, um, go show yourselves to the priest. I'm kind of busy. It's actually not what was going on. If you don't understand the context, you'll misunderstand what Jesus was doing. Because the reality is, when you had leprosy, which is a disease of the skin and the nervous system, it deteriorates and it actually is a very, very contagious disease. What happens is, if, if you are healed and you are cleansed and you start to see the signs of healing on your skin, you're supposed to go show yourself to a priest and a priest will declare if you are actually healed or not. So when Jesus is saying, go show yourselves to the priest, he's actually saying, you're fine. You're fine. You're healed. Go. Go. That's what he's saying. So you got to understand that as we read it. And so it was that they went. And as they went, look what it says. As they went, they were cleansed. Verse 19. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice. Everybody say loud voice. voice. He opened up his mouth. He opened up his mouth with a loud voice. He glorified God and fell down at his feet, on his face at his feet, giving him what? Thanks. And I love how it even ends there. And he was a Samaritan, which means he was a foreigner. And there's so much there. Ooh, there's so much there. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I know what that means. Listen, leprosy is a devastating, I'm going to put it into context. Leprosy is a devastating and contagious disease. Like I said, it affects the skin, the nervous system. It causes deep pain. It causes disfigurement. It causes deformities. Oftentimes, a leper would just simply be moving along and their ear would fall off because it was just, the skin was just deteriorating. And sadly, that disease still exists today in countries like Africa, the African continent and the Asian continent, where medicine and, and modern technology is not readily available. In Jesus' time, lepers were removed from their families and removed from the community as quickly as they could. There could be no contact whatsoever with his family, with his children or his grandchildren. His wife would not even be allowed to kiss him goodbye for fear that she too would be afflicted because it's a highly contagious disease. They had to stand, if they did travel, they had to travel together and they had to stand off at, at, a, at a distance so that people would not come in contact with them. So this is why they were shouting to Jesus from afar off because they were respecting the law. They were respecting the law saying, have mercy on us. And Jesus declares healing over them. Imagine the, not only physical pain that they were going through, but imagine the emotional pain that they were experiencing, the loneliness they were feeling. I imagine their emotional pain, their loneliness was equal to their physical pain. So don't misunderstand when Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. He's showing great love and great mercy. Jesus tells the men to go and show themselves to the priest, which was required by the law. These men were still lepers as they turned. And the Bible says, as they went, as they took 
steps of faith on the word of Jesus, they were healed. It says, as they went. We don't know how far they went before they began to realize they were healed. It may have been one, two, three steps. It could have been five yards, 10 yards, 100. It could have been a mile. We have no idea. It doesn't say. It just simply says, as they went, they were healed. Hey, listen, church. There are times Jesus calls you to do something, and you're going to see the provision in the process of you taking a step of faith. It may not happen right away, but step out in faith. One man, only one, begin to realize as he's going, hey, 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 there's color there because typically the skin was ashy white and flaking off. And quite possibly he might've noticed and went, wait a minute, there's pink skin there. I haven't seen pink skin. And he turns around, he starts running back and he drops to his face and he begins to open his mouth. And for the first time, instead of opening his mouth and saying, stay away, unclean. He opens his mouth and says, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. No longer would he be opening his mouth with shame on his voice. He would be opening his mouth with thanks on his lips. Because he was cleansed. He was clean. As a result, Jesus makes a statement. Let's take a look at the next verses. So Jesus answered the man... And he didn't even acknowledge his praises. He says, weren't there 10 that were cleansed? Hmm. But, but, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I, I, I don't even want to, I, I don't even have time to get into the fact that Jesus is, is actually referencing back to the children of Israel. Remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. And he watched the children of Israel centuries before operate with ingratitude. And when Jesus makes this statement, weren't there any found who would return to give glory except this foreigner? He's referencing the fact that there must have been some children of Israel in that group. And shouldn't they be grateful? Shouldn't they be the first ones to come and give praise? This foreigner has not experienced my mercy and my goodness until this very moment. Ingratitude is inappropriate. As a result, this one person receives an extra measure of grace. 
He receives an extra blessing. And if you study this passage of Scripture out, you would go back to the original language that it was written in, in the Greek, and you would find out that the word cleansed and healed is different from the word made well. In the original Greek language, this word made, made you well or was made well is actually a Greek word called sozo. It is not a medical word. It's not referencing a physical healing. What it actually can literally be translated to is made whole or complete. This person received an extra blessing because they were grateful and thankful. They were faith-filled. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. Not just cleansed, but whole. Some theologians have said the cleansing of leprosy does not replace the body parts. It just means that the disease has ceased. Some theologians have said they were all cleansed, but there was one, according to Scripture, that was made whole. Possibly. Ears pop back. Fingers were replaced. One thing we do know is that he was made whole in body, mind, and soul. Why? Because he came with thankfulness on his lips. You see this principle? Uh, We're not just talking about a nice appreciation note. It's the principle of saying, God, thank you. Thank you. What we see from both examples is literally that ingratitude is inappropriate. It keeps us from walking in the full blessing that God has for us. It gets us in quicksand and God is saying, no, I got something for you. Get out of that. Get out of that. And I'm going to give you a lifeline. I'm going to give you some lifelines right now in this last 10 minutes because I'm a practical pastor. I want to give you some lifelines, ways to get out of the quicksand of ingratitude. Are you ready? If you're a note taker, you're a tweeter, this is what you want to do. Actually, this isn't my idea. This idea goes all the way back to David. And the answers to how to get out of the quicksand of of ingratitude is found in Psalm chapter 103, verses 1 through 5. Take a look up on the screen. David gives us the solution. Here's what it says. Matter of fact, let's all read it together. Ready? Begin. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Here it is. May I never forget the good things he does for me. And what does he do? Forgives all my sins. He, oh, sorry. There it is. He forgives all my sins. He heals my disease. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. I believe, I believe, I believe that at some point that Samaritan probably heard this verse and went, I get it. I get it. And that's why every day I give thanks to the Lord. Because a thankful heart is a happy heart. (laughs) That's right. Number one, 
How do you get out of it? How do you get out of this? How do you get out of the ingratitude? Number one is you got to remember. Everybody say remember. remember. You got to remember. When we face setbacks, when we face difficulties and disappointments, it's easy to become cynical. Oh man, here I am again, struggling again. And it's easy to get cynical. And what happens is we start to get into that quicksand and we start to sink. We go deeper and deeper into it. The way to get out of it is you got to remember when this happens, we tend to forget the good when we're faced with the bad. But do like David says, let's not forget what God has done. He's forgiven your sin. That right there should have me saying, thank you, God, every single day. Because when I finish my time here on earth, I get to be with Jesus. I get to experience the joy of eternity. Thank you, God. If, I'm ingra- if I have ingratitude, it's inappropriate. You see? This is why David inspires us to never forget all that God has done. Remind yourself. Number two, here you go. How do you get out of it? Refocus. Everybody say refocus. refocus. You got to get your eyes off of what you're lacking and get your eyes on what you've got. That's what I said last week. Max Lucado said, gratitude lifts our eyes off of what we lack so that we can see the blessing of what we possess. Just sitting here in this air-conditioned room is a reason to, oh, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you. It's safe. It's clean. It smells good. Well, except sitting next to that person next to you. That might not smell so good. I notice I didn't say you. I said the person next to you. Anyways. In our house, my youngest one, Emma, who uh, is that picture of her. That's one of the reasons why I showed it. Emma has always been the one in our family to help us refocus. She, she has a phrase that she's been saying, gosh, since she could start talking. Well, at least, at least, at least, and let me fill in how it works. Uh, we, we went to, to New York um, back when Emma was 10 years old. And while we were in New York, we were kind of doing the regular New York types of things, right? You know, sightseeing, Empire State Building, the Statue of Liberty. Well, there was this one restaurant that I wanted to check out. It was called an Automat. And it was one of the, it was this cool kind of 1950s, 1960s restaurant where you go in and you drop in about 10 quarters and you open it up and there's hot food that comes out. And it was, you know, it was kind of a cool convenience thing back in the 50s, but I wanted to go check it out. Well, we spent a whole half of a day looking for this place, going all around the, the areas of New York where we thought it was, and I'd look it up on the map. I'm like, well, I think we're almost there. And we went round and round. I was getting frustrated, like, where is it? Where is it? Finally, we got to the address, and we're like, and this was after like, oh, probably a good four hours of searching. Yeah, I know, I was obsessed. <laughs> I watch the Food Channel, and when I travel, I like to check out the cool food places, I admit it. So anyways, I'm like, well, it, 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 this is the address, but it was a vacant building. I'm like, well, this can't be, it must be the wrong address, and so we're looking some more. Finally started asking some questions to some of the neighbors and everything, and one person finally said, oh yeah, that place was shut down six months ago. The health department shut it down. <laughs> Well, thank you. I was so upset. I man, I wasted four hours. We're in New York, and I was frustrated. And 10-year-old Emma, thank you, Lord, refocused us. And she said, well, at least we got to see different parts of New York, Dad. 
Isn't that awesome? She was fine. She had fun. And it helped all of us refocus. At least we got to see different parts of New York. Now let's go eat because we're starving. Her thankfulness influenced and changed our perspective. Your thankfulness can influence and change and refocus other people's perspective, your family, your work, your school. Now let me give you a little warning sign. If we had a warning sign, this is like a little warning sign that says, look out, trap ahead, quicksand is coming. Here's the warning sign. What causes us to sink or to step into ingratitude is when we begin to play the comparison game. When we start comparing what we have or don't have with what others have or don't have. That is a quick route into ingratitude. Next thing you know, you're stuck in the quicksand going, well, how did I get here? If you have siblings, you know that the comparison game starts really early, right? Well, how come she got two and I got one? It's not fair. It's not fair. He has more ice cream than I have. It's not fair. It's not fair. If only I had his looks, I might be a better man. If only I had his hair, I might be more successful. If only I had her education, I might have more opportunity. If only I had his money, then I might have a better house. If only, if only I had. And when we start to compare, we step into the muck and the mire of ingratitude. Comparing and playing that comparison game, you never win. You never win. There have been a few movies that have been illustrated this, this, this uh, point. It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. Maybe you guys remember that. It plays every Christmas a thousand times. A movie called Family Man with Nicolas Cage. And recently in theaters, a movie called Overboard. Very funny, kind of a remake from the 80s. I, I recommend, it's a funny movie to watch, actually a decent family movie to take your family to. All of these are about comparing and playing comparisons and realizing that just because they have more doesn't mean they have it better. All these films demonstrates that comparing yourself to others is a road that leads quickly to ingratitude. Number three, and we'll close it up, is this one. Rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. 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 Remember, refocus, and rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, the Bible says. And again, I say rejoice. And how do you do it? Get control of your tongue and choose to rejoice. Get control of this thing. Don't let it control you. You control it. Power of life and death is in your tongue. Choose to speak life and not death. Don't let it control you. Practice the principle of praise. We should start and finish our day with these words from the book of Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. 
I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because God's given you another day. Another day. Another day to make a difference. Another day to influence. Another day to live. So you should start with thanks in your heart. Because ingratitude is inappropriate. And when we function with ingratitude, I believe it makes God's heart sad. Because he's given us so much to be thankful for. Every day, we should be thank-filled. Thank you for listening. For more information, check out our website at wearerefinery.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram at wearerefinery. God bless.